is What Shall We Do About with Sam Robinson. Hello and welcome to What Shall We Do About, the show that tries to improve the world's less pressing problems. What was your favourite show growing up? Back before streaming and on-demand television, watching TV made for kids was appointment viewing. Whether it was waking up in Australia with Agro's Cartoon Connection on 7, or Cheese TV on 10, or enjoying Nickelodeon shows on ABC Kids After School, we had limited but good options. Fast forward to 2020 and the world is very different. In fact, here in Australia, locally made children's television is under threat. Commercial television networks want to see kids' TV quotas scrapped. So, what shall we do about children's television? Joining me is someone who I raced home from school to watch on my TV each afternoon. It's the host of classic kids' game show, Amazing. It's James Sherry. James Sherry, thanks for jumping on the podcast with me. Look... In this day and age, it's an absolute pleasure to be doing something that's not the same as yesterday. Yes. Oh, yeah. my God. It's crazy. It's crazy. you anyway, got a, you got a couple of kids me. at home, right? What's your family situation? Yes, I do. I have a, uh, I have a wife and I have uh, three children. One of, uh, one of my children has moved out of home. She's a grown-up. Uh, the other two, eight and six. And, uh, yes, I've got the eight and six-year-old at home. And we're in, you know, the what, – what, what, what do we call it? Is it self-isolation? Is it lockdown? Is Shut it, down. We're, we're in the stay-home phase. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a um, weird time to be alive, really. I mean, it's such a strange world. And um, I guess it's only appropriate we talk about TV, uh, considering yes. that's all we're kind of consuming at the moment, right? Uh, well, it's, it's a lot of what we're consuming. Can you imagine having to do this, say – 20 years ago, I say 20 years as a, as a random number, before Netflix, before Stan, before Disney+, Plus, before Foxtel, before all yeah. the digital channels, what would we do? I don't know. I, I guess we'd be going back to the old school, you know, jigsaw puzzles, as the Prime Minister mentioned, and we'd be doing as we are. Uh, my boys and I play Monopoly. Uh, we play Uno. We do Lego. The thing I guess that people would know you for is, is your TV work, particularly in the early 90s. But what are you up to now, James Sherry? Uh, now it's sort of the TV side of live events. So if you go to uh, an AFL game uh, mm-hmm. at the MCG, there's a very good chance that it's me producing the big screen. Uh, I'm one of the three producers for the AFL uh, in Melbourne. So yeah, MCG big screen. I take care of that, produce that. Um, I work as the host for international cricket uh, and do a bit of producing work uh, for a production house called Angry Chair, uh, and at Angry Chair we cover a whole range of stuff. So we work, we do government contracts, we do stuff for schools, we do web videos for business, a um, whole range of, of really good stuff. So I'm guessing that this whole whole COVID-19 thing has then affected you and your work because there's no AFL at the moment. Oh, yeah, hugely, hugely. Um, I've been out of work essentially for, what was it, a month now? Yeah. Uh, as as we're recording this, uh, but you know, I'm not alone. Um, so it's not like I'm, you know, crying in my cereal every morning <laughs> because what's the point? We're all in the same boat, and um, you know, just just try and figure out ways to get through it. Um, yes. Yeah. But yeah, out of work, out of work. So um, having a lot of quality family time, which is lovely. And yeah. you're uh, and you're joining me on the podcast, which is wonderful too. Well, you know what? If I was working. 
would I be able to do this? Would I be available for this right now? Who knows? I don't know. I'd hope you give me I the time. I would have made myself. I would have found time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The beauty of being freelance is when there is work, um, you can work around it. So, you know, like I, I would do like school drop-off mm. and then come home and work and then go and pick the boys up from school. So I was able to do, you know, the parenting and the working. Yes. Um, it, it was a really, really nice work-life balance that I had back in the good old days. Speaking of the good old days, people know you from Saturday Disney and Amazing, the game show, which I definitely yes. raced home from school to watch. But let's talk about Saturday yes. Disney because you were one of the original hosts. You started in 1990 and it ended up yes. lasting for 26 years on TV. How, how yep. did you land that gig? I was uh, an actor. I was a stage actor uh, in Brisbane and uh, my agent rang me one day and said, oh, there's an audition for uh, Wombat which was the afternoon magazine show for kids. Uh, it was like at four o'clock uh, mm -hmm. where Agro got his start. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so uh, uh, audition for a reporter for that show. So I went up and auditioned and uh, that was fine. And then I got a call about a week later saying, oh, look, Wombat's been axed. Uh, but they want to have a look at you for another show that they're looking at. And I went, oh, all right. So it just happened to be my birthday. And uh, went up there to Channel 7 in Brisbane and did the audition and got a phone call uh, later that afternoon saying, yep, can you go and organise a passport? We need to take you to America in two weeks uh, to shoot some stories at the Disney parks. And the rest, that was November in 1989. The rest, as they say, is history. That's incredible. And you, were, yeah. you, you did the show for a number of years. What are, what are some of the moments that kind of stick in your mind as – being pretty, pretty great. Oh, the, the, well, I mean, I, I hadn't left the country prior to getting this gig. Um, so, you know, two weeks after my birthday, my 22nd birthday, I'm on a plane to America. I went and saw Disneyland, Disney World uh, in Florida, um, you know, Hollywood, LA. Uh, wow. I had a look around Orlando, all that sort of stuff. Um, I guess the biggest highlight for me in the whole Saturday Disney journey was the year we went to the Kennedy Space Center. So I drove in and they've got like one of the Saturn rockets on its side next to the road and mm. you sort of drive along past that and then we went in through the security gates and we went into the, the big vehicle assembly building and they had, um, you know, the big orange fuel tank from the, from the shuttle. Yeah. They had one of those um, actually set up against the gantry in there. And um, that was for the next shuttle mission. And we climbed the gantry and, you know, had a look at that. And we went out and we climbed on the, they call it the crawler, which is the giant machine that carries the, the shuttle or the rockets out to the launch pad. We went out to the launch pad. We drove out to the back of the space center and they had um, the shuttle that had just come back from one of the missions parked on the tarmac out the back so that, you know, whatever space radiation or whatever could evaporate from it. Mm. Uh, sort of in the quarantine area. So, you know, to get that tour, and that was obviously pre-9-11, so security was a completely different thing back then. Yeah. Um, so to to experience that was um, it's something I'll never forget, you know, a really, really special day, just one day. A weird link that we have is that I ended up working at Saturday Disney a long time after you were there, I worked on yeah. that show for two years, 2008, 2009. But what, the, so what were the, what were the cartoons on back in the day, oh, in look, your day? It, it had become a, a mix of cartoons and live action. There was a lot of Hannah Montana. 
um, yes. Wizards of Waverly Place, but there's also things like Kim Possible and... I love Kim Possible. Yeah, that kind of... It was a weird kind of crossover era. and But the thing that stands out to me as far as you're concerned is that I um, was there when Saturday Disney reached its 1,000th episode and it was yeah. my job, one of my many jobs, was to put together a highlights package of a thousand shows, particularly looking back at the hosts. And so I had this job for months of going through all these old VHS tapes of your time on the show. And I mean, I was, I was a fan of the show as a kid, so I loved doing this, but it was so, uh, it was such a big job. And actually I I looked at it this morning. You can actually watch the, um, the package on YouTube of all the hosts that I made isn't it incredible to think that a show like that lasted that long and it, and it kept going for years after that? Uh, yeah, I think that talks more to the Disney brand. Um, yeah, okay. I, you know, growing up as a kid, Sunday night, you'd sit down, um, you know, straight after the news and it was it was Disney and you'd hear the music, the Wish Upon a Star music and, mm. you know, there was Cinderella's Castle from from uh, Disneyland in LA and, and the... Um, you know, Tinkerbell would fly in and, and bang, and by the time she hit the top of the castle and made it all sparkly, you were sitting down to watch whatever it is that the, that Disney were putting on that night, that Channel 7 were were putting on that night from, from the Disney company. You know, so that Disney sort of tradition with families in Australia has been there for, for a very long time. And then that whole, in 19... The late 80s, early 90s was that whole renaissance period mm. uh, where Michael Eisner came in and, and you know, turned the, the business around because they were, they were looking like going broke. Um, and he, you know, turned it around, got the animation studios back on track, um, got that love and excitement for the Disney brand. Um, he regenerated it, reinvigorated it so that, it, um, so that you know, that a, a new generation could uh, could get involved. And now, as I said, I think I mentioned it to you before, Disney Plus. You know, my kids are mm. sitting there watching that right now, um, you know, watching all the, the new stuff that Disney are putting out now. So I think they've always just had that really strong family vibe. You know, I know that my kids can sit and watch Disney stuff and it's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I recall going through that footage that when, when the show began, was there a studio audience for Saturday Disney? Yeah. yeah. Wow. We used to we used to go live at seven a.m. on no. a Saturday morning. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we get up at five o'clock in the morning, drive up to Mount Cutha, go into makeup, do some warm ups. Five minutes to seven, you're out on the floor getting ready. Floor manager counts you down. Live across Australia, seven a.m. Well, not wow. to WA, they would uh, they would turn it around, but it was live to the to the east coast. That's incredible because, yeah. I mean, when I, oh. by the time I started there, we were shooting three episodes a day in a house. You'd have to reset. I mean, the, the house itself when I was there was this kind of, I don't know, a rectangle set and you have to move around every time, to, you know, and the reset would still take a lot of time. So there was still a lot of effort put into it, to these hosting yeah. links, but nothing like doing a live show with an audience. Yeah, so with, with the live show, uh, the house was built so that you had the, the front with the veranda and everything. And mm. then during an ad break, so we would um, we would throw to the break and then jump off the set and the floor crew would run in and they would spin the house around. It was on wheels, spin it around. <laughs> they would open up the two sort of flaps that became the side walls um, and then 
they would set up the inside of the house. Wow. Put all the furniture and stuff in it, and they'd have to do that in three minutes um, <laughs> during an ad break. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. That's incredible. Now, yeah. I, I should mention too that um, I saw you recently on the TV show Hard Quiz where you <laughs> went on Tom Gleason's Hard Quiz show, which I, I, I'm yeah. amazed that you would have the bravery to do that. Anyone would have the bravery to do that. And your, and your topic was 90s Disney cartoons. Absolutely. Because the whole idea is to pick a topic that is kind of unique or, you know, difficult so that the other contestants can't steal, steal your points. Yes. Because a steal's worth 10. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was so much fun. I, I, I love the show. I sit and watch it, you know, regularly anyway. And, um, it was the middle of, no, 2019. Yeah. And I was watching it and, uh, you know, at the end of the show thing comes up saying, oh, if you want to be a contestant, get in touch. So I got in <laughs> touch and you have to do an online question, you know, quiz kind of thing. And yeah, cause I want to make sure that you, you've got a bit of, a bit of smarts about you. And then, um, then they get in touch and have a chat, figure out if your topic's worthwhile, and then, yeah, auditions. And they put put it together in November last year, and it just aired, yeah, as you said, a couple of weeks ago. Wow. You did so well. So you got to the fun. final round. Yeah, yeah, funny, because when I, when I got there, I, I was always going just to have fun, because it, it's a fun show. I just want to be part of the fun. Mm. So I wasn't nervous at the start. It wasn't until I actually got to the final two, and I went, oh. <laughs> I could actually win this thing. I could actually take. I could actually get the big brass mug here, and um, yeah, unfortunately, just just fell short right at the line there. Bloody but... Miami mice! <laughs> Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. No, no, nah, I had go. no yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, but considering that, like the Disney '90s cartoons was your specialist topic, and you were on Saturday Disney till I think what '94. Yeah, that's right. Does that mean that your passion for Disney continued well after your, your time on the show? Oh, it still does today. Yeah. Any of the Star Wars films, that's all part of the Disney family now. Um, you know, their, their animated films are the, – the music from The Little Mermaid, I still, still absolutely love that. Um, you know, the animation yeah. uh, in, in Milan, um, Pocahontas, you know, I, I mean, I could go on for hours. The, 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 what, the work they do in the animation field is – is extraordinary. Toy Story. What what a groundbreaking film. Yeah. That first Toy Story film. You know, it's like it, it changed the way we looked at animation. They yeah. changed the way that they make animation, which is what they've been doing for decades, almost a, or coming up on a century, I would guess. That's right. Yeah. And then after Saturday Disney, you went on to be the host of one of the greatest kids shows of all time, I would dare say. Thank you. Uh, ama- Thank you. Amazing. And people would know you very well from that. Yeah. For those who have never seen Amazing or never heard of it, um, what, what, how would you describe the format of the show? Oh, it was, it was just good fun. It was just good fun. Um, question and answer round uh, with a clock counting down. And as soon as the contestants answered the question, they had to run out onto a giant keyboard and type the answer. The clock would stop. And how much time they had left on the clock was the amount of time they had to run through a giant maze to collect the letters from that answer. Mm. Uh, and then we did two rounds of that, and then uh, then there was the uh, Nintendo challenge. So we'd pit player against player, uh, video games head to head, and then into the final, the, the bonus round. If they could find the bonus key, one of seven keys was the bonus key. They'd win for themselves a Game Boy, <laughs> but each key worth a hundred points for their school. So there was 
there was something for everyone. Yeah. And I think that's why it was a, a game changer because a lot of the games were – a lot of the shows were sort of intellectual. You had to answer questions. You had to know the answers to the questions, uh, whereas this gave something to the, the kids who were smart. They could answer the questions. The kids were physical by running through the maze, um, you know, the athletic kids, and then there were the kids who were good at video games, could shine. So, you know, there was something – everyone – could succeed at some part in that show. And it was just so fun to watch. Like as a kid, I remember, you know, four o'clock, Channel 7, come home, put it on, and, and you know, you're always shouting at the TV about where you reckon the keys are and <laughs> the kids don't the find cactus. it. And behind exactly, the behind the cactus or, you know, <laughs> the monkey, you know, the Don- Donkey Kong characters. Like it's just incredible that a show like that, even now for a, a 90s kid like me, it's just it's enduring. Yeah. How, yeah. did you, how did you get involved in the show? Was it just because you were, you know, part of Saturday Disney at Brisbane, at Seven in Brisbane? Absolutely. Right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, the guys who had the idea for the show, amazing, were at Channel 7 Brisbane because that's where Channel 7's kids' television was being made. So they were in the building and um, I'd spoken to the producers of Disney saying, you know, it's been four years. Um, I feel like, you know feel like I need a, a new challenge, something, let's do something. What, what else can, can I do? Um, and they said, well, there's this, there's this game show. And I went, all right, let's have a look at that. And we all got together and I liked the idea. They liked me. So, hmm. yeah, we, we took off with that. What are some, some of your favourite memories of, of your time on Amazing? It was just so much fun. Two and a half thousand young Australians coming wow. through to compete, plus the, you know, a couple of hundred that were in the audience for all of the recordings, you know, and they were all really, really good kids. There was one young man that, <laughs> how do I say this nicely, was uh, problematic. Okay. But, um, but, but he, uh, he soon pulled his head in and just realised he didn't have to be a smart-ass. He could just, you know, have fun and it would be all right. What was he doing? Oh, just, you know, just being a, just being a young yeah, okay. You know, kid who knew everything and <laughs> thought he was funny and clever. It's like, dude, just just chill out. Yeah. Just do your job. Have some fun. Am I, am I right in thinking that the – I mean, I, I think of my time on Disney and the set there was complex, but this maze would have been an absolute nightmare to to set up and light and film. Is that right? Uh, oh, no. Like when you've got, like, the pros involved. Yeah. It's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle that you've put together a thousand times. <laughs> you know, like the set came in in six parts, essentially, like six big pieces. Yeah. Uh, and they'd roll them into the spot where it was marked on the floor. They'd roll them in, connect them together. The lights, they had they had a plan. Um, so they'd just go to, like, go to light number 1A and turn it to this point, mm. you know, with that colour in it. Go to, one, uh, you know, 2A, turn it to this point, put that colour. So it was all... So it was it was time consuming. So we would record. They'd set it up on a Tuesday. Uh, they'd spend the whole day putting the set in. Wednesday, Thursday, we would record a week's worth on each day. Mm. So we'd get two schools in on the Wednesday morning. We'd do five episodes, which run you know twenty three minutes or so, twenty four minutes. Uh, do five episodes in a row. Send them back on the bus back to school to be you know ready for dismissal at three o'clock. Yeah. And then, uh, and then on Thursday, two more schools would come in. So we'd do two weeks' worth. And then, yeah, two weeks later, come in and do the whole thing over again. 
And am I right that the um, the show moved s- states? So, so Brisbane was the centre for children's television mm. uh, and Dina Brown was like the head of children's production. So she was the one behind, you know, all the kids' TV uh, in the 80s and 90s. She came up, she, she was the one in charge of Wombat and, you know, all of the agro stuff and uh, Saturday Disney and amazing. All of that stuff comes came, came under her, under her uh, supervision. And then... It came to a point where Channel 7 wanted to spread their shows across the country so that each of the, you know, Channel 7 offices had enough work to keep everyone there. The background was that Channel 7 had the AFL contract or, the you know, they were broadcasting AFL football. Mm-hmm. Over in Perth, they were only doing, you know, one game a week at the time or maybe not even a game a week. It might have been once a fortnight because, I don't know, Fremantle were around then. I can't remember. So they wanted to they wanted to keep those boys who were doing the footy on the weekend or the guys and girls who were working on the footy on the weekend, they wanted to give them something to do during the week. So they moved. So it was amazing and uh, Time Masters, you know, they, all those shows oh, yeah. that, that they were doing in the afternoons uh, were all moved over there. Yeah, in 90 – oh, when was that? 96, 97? So we did a couple of years in Brisbane then, yeah, flew back and forth to Perth for a couple of years as well. Wow. That's, that that yeah. would have been pretty exhausting for you as a host. Oh, no. Fly in Tuesday, um, do my prep with my questions. Wednesday, Thursday, shoot. Fly home Thursday night. Okay. Have 12 days off. <laughs> you know, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't a tough schedule. Yeah. Yeah, right. Why did the show finish up? Because in my mind it was hugely popular. Yeah, I think it was just the right time. I think, um, you know, it had done what it had done and I think it was just time. Do do you think a show like Amazing would be as successful in 2020? I think about how things have changed in the world but also on TV. Do you think it would be as as big? Oh, gee, that's a good question Uh, because you look at things like Ninja Warrior, Mm. um, you know, like there's – you know, there's that. That's the sort of the maze element, really, isn't it? Yes. Um, so, would it be as hugely popular? Well, yes or no? I don't. I, don't, I really don't know. I couldn't yeah. answer that question. Yeah, it is a very different world, you know. Like, um, you know, now with your streaming and you know with um, on-demand TV, that kind of thing. I just don't know. Don't know. It's a very different world. Yeah. Are, are advertisers still spending money? I mean, they weren't spending a lot of money on kids' TV back in the day, um, the advertisers. So, you know, anything that you put on kids' television that was that was actually, you know, classified C for children, mm. anything that you put on had to be offset by, you know. Uh, you'd have to it, – it wasn't earning enough revenue to cover the costs of making it. Mm. back in the day. So I don't even know if that would happen today. That gets us to the topic, James, of this podcast, which is kids TV. What shall we do about kids TV? Because um, the reality is that earlier this year, children's TV on commercial networks has come under fire because, as you kind of just mentioned there, each uh, has a quota of local kids' content to produce each year. But in recent years, these have been pushed to multi-channels, the digital channels. So, like, even... Can you imagine, say, Amazing being pushed to, say, uh, you know, seven mate at or seven flicks at 10.30 on a Sunday morning? Like it's just it's yeah. a different world, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, I think one of the issues with the whole digital 
television world is that people are still thinking of, you know, as a main channel and then the other channels. I don't, I think we need to stop thinking like that. Mm -hmm. It it is, it's a different television landscape now and channel seven have, you know, six outputs. Channel nine has six outputs or whatever it is. Um, It doesn't matter. I know there there was a big um, uproar when, you know, some of the women's cricket was being put on the secondary channel. It's like, no, it's not a secondary channel. It's one of the channels that Channel 7 have. Mm. So rather than disrupt the schedule, because some people are creatures of habit, rather than disrupt the schedule, keep the regular programming that you have on that particular, you know, on on 70, for example, and put the... Put, put all the sport or whatever on 74, you know, or whatever it is, whatever the numbers are. I don't think we need to think about it. I, I think we should stop thinking about it as, you know, all oh, the, the the secondary or the, you know, one of the other channels, one yeah. of the, the less important channels. Sure, sure. Um, there's an article uh, from the Sydney Morning Herald that I'll put in the show notes uh, link to, but uh, it talks about um, – it was published back in February, titled Broadcasters, Producers at Loggerheads Over Children's Content Quotas. It says, uh, quote, Broadcasters and producers are at loggerheads over Australian children's content on commercial TV with nine CEO Hugh Marks lending his support to rival James Warburton, CEO of Seven, over calls to scrap quotas, making it compulsory to commission and broadcast such content. Now, at the moment, I believe... The requirement is that each broadcaster has to screen 390 hours of C-rated for children programming and also P-rated for preschool content each and every year. What are your thoughts on all this uh, and the, the fact that they're trying to kind of scrap the fact that they have to produce children's TV each year? Well, well, I think it's wrong. Um, obviously, the rules are the rules. If, it, if there's 390 hours required and that's part of your licensing agreement, then then that's what you have to do. Mm. Um, that's, that's what you have to do. And look, I understand that it's a difficult situation from a television perspective because you've got to spend money to make those shows and are you getting the revenue? We all know that you know the television model that we've lived by for the last 50, 60 years has changed dramatically. You don't have the, the advertising dollar coming in um, that they've had in the past. So there's less money coming in. Uh, and the money's got to be spent to make these new shows, maybe some entrepreneurial, creative people need to get their thinking Mm. together and, and, you know, find a way that we can make good quality children's television uh, without having to spend billions of dollars. I mean, look at the ABC. They've got a whole channel of kids' programming. Two channels, preschoolers and then, yeah, ABC Me as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, it, it it's obviously not that hard. I just said that without thinking. <laughs> but if the ABC are doing it, it's obviously not that hard. Yeah. Do you think that the, the kids' TV show that is made now is as good as it used to be? Do they make it like they used to, James? Um, no, but then nothing's like it used to be. Yeah. Even Even more so today. Nothing's like it used to be. And, and oh, again, you know, like there's, there's multiple channels, digital channels. We need to change the way we think because the world's changed. We need to change the way we think. Mm. It isn't the same. Children's television isn't the same. But then the video games, like the Nintendo games that we play, 
video games aren't the same today. Mm. Look at Minecraft. Completely different to anything that we were playing back in the day. Yeah, it's true. It'd make that uh, video game round a bit more complicated and amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! How many how many diamonds can you mine, <laughs> or, or how much of a house can you build? <laughs> yes. Can you replicate this house in ninety seconds? Go. <laughs> no, it just uh, yeah, very different. Although I don't know what the latest version of Mario Kart looks like. Yeah. Um, the last one I played was on a Wii, so even yeah. that's a you know many many years ago. World keeps changing. It does. Uh, the world, and, and we need to change with it. I think about those quotas and I think the fact that kids have access to um, obviously those two channels of ABC, but also, you know, all these things on Netflix that are imported, Disney Plus, uh, kids shows on demand anytime you like. It's not like you have to wait till 4pm on a, you know, weekday afternoon to tune into Amazing or The Big Arvo or something like that on TV, which was so, I feel like so well produced. And then suddenly news came in that time slot and then it kind of got forgotten from there. Why is local children's tv though so important australian kids tv oh my goodness because it's it's a, it's the australian voice it's the australian psyche it's you know when when they talk about you know what you're doing is really poor behavior that's so un-australian mm. you don't know what that is until it's reflected back at you you need to see australian to know what australian is yes I mean, young people who are, who are born into this world, if you're born here in Australia, then you you want to grow up looking at Australian stuff. Otherwise, we're all going to be walking around with American accents and, you know, all wanting to be like Hannah Montana, for example. <laughs> yes. You know, like we, we need Australian examples and Australian voices, Australian accents, Australian words, Australian culture. Mm. Uh, and for, for people who have um, come to Australia as you know, as refugees or, or if they've migrated here, then they want to, they need to experience Australian culture when they turn on the TV as well. Mm. And we need to share Australian thoughts and Australian voice. Um, so it, it's vitally important that we're creating our own television and not just importing it from overseas. Yeah. As we finish, James Sherry, what shall we do about kids' TV? I think we should uh, absolutely make maintain our quotas um, as much as we can mm. because the, as I've just said, the Australian voice is is vitally important uh, for us to maintain our identity and to, to keep a hold of our culture, Australian culture. James, I really, really appreciate your time and, um, and I hope that you manage to get back into work soon as this COVID world you know passes hopefully quickly um yes but i really am thankful for your your, your time and your and your yeah I guess, I guess your passion for kids tv and and the way in which you blessed me as a kid doing what you did on tv oh look thank you so much thank you for inviting me along and letting me share my thoughts and and thank you for the distraction because it is uh it's a difficult time and we all just need to be careful and and safe and healthy and You've distracted me from all of the, I was going to say misery, but it's not misery. You've <laughs> distracted me from all of the monotony. The monotony, <laughs> yes. Lockdown. Yes. So thank you. Thank you for putting a smile on my face, Sam. My thanks to James Sherry, who is on Twitter at the James Sherry. 
And since recording this episode, the Australian government has advised that there would be no quote of a drama, children's or documentary for the rest of 2020 due to COVID-19. The Seven Network removed their daily children's television block immediately from Seven Two, replacing it with reruns of old lifestyle shows Auction Squad and Harry's Practice. You can read more about this in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. As always, I do appreciate it and would love it if you could rate and review it wherever you heard this. And uh, I do hope you're doing okay considering the world state at the moment. And I'd love to hear from you if you, you know, want to give some feedback on the show at whatshallwedopod at gmail.com. And you can find this show on Instagram and Facebook at whatshallwedopod. What Shall We Do About is hosted and produced by me, Sam Robinson, with production support from Ali Barnes and original music from Chad Gardner. Stay safe and I'll catch you next time.